When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Britney when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. The Project Upland podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. And by Onyx Maps. Know where you stand. listening to the project upland podcast welcome back to the show for episode number 32 today's episode of the show is brought to you by pine ridge grouse camp and onyx maps if you're in the market for a new pair of boots don't forget to check out gumleafusa.com that's gumleafusa.com use promo code pu2018 pu2018 Gumleaf Boots, free shipping on anything from gumleafusa.com. On today's show, the Project Upland podcast travels courtesy of our Onyx Maps web viewer to the heartland, to the middle of Kansas, Heiser, Kansas to be exact. It is here that our guest 
J.C. Bosch of No Limits Kennels has set up shop. He is a breeder, trainer, hunting guide, lodge owner, kind of a do-it-all, jack-of-all-trades kind of a guy, which we talk about a little bit today. J.C. grew up in a, in a hunting culture, but it wasn't always his number one passion. Eventually, some co-workers and a bird dog piqued his interest and set him on a course that led him to where he is today, owning his own kennel and hunting lodge, breeding his line of German short-haired pointers and training hunting dogs of all breeds. We talk about a lot of that stuff today, upland hunting in Kansas, bird dogs, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy today's episode of the Project Upland podcast. Let's welcome to the show of No Limits Kennels, J.C. Bosch. J.C., here we go. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, man. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me, Nick. What's going on? Not too much. I, uh, I've, got a, I've got a cold beer poured here next to me i know that uh you don't as you are you are in the road on the road right now not driving so that's good but uh looking forward to looking forward to having a conversation with you and uh it's my pleasure to have you on the project Dublin podcast absolutely thank you so i know you are traveling right now you're driving a little bit but but when you're not driving and attending weddings on saturday nights put put a pin in a map for us jc where can we find you uh, so we're out here in Heiser, Kansas. Uh, you threw a dart at the map, smack in the middle of Kansas. Uh, yeah, we're, we're kind of nestled in between uh, Cheyenne Bottoms and Quivira National Wildlife Refuge. Uh, that's pretty much the nation's largest, well, it is the nation's largest inland marsh. Um, and one of the most crucial migration stops in the northern hemisphere for, for our waterfowl birds. And then obviously we have all the... Uh, all of the upland habitat, quail, pheasants, prairie chickens. Yeah, we train some dogs and have a good time out here. Excellent. So so I know you call that home today. Has it always been that way for you? Yeah, pretty much. I um, was born in Wichita, kind of moved around a little bit when I was a kid, uh, dad with work and things like that. But no, we've pretty much, uh, I've pretty much grown up here my whole life, born and raised. Awesome. So that's uh, that's where I imagine you you cut your teeth in in the uplands and and the marshes and and we'll get we'll get into that shortly. But what it's you know it's it's June sixteenth here when we're recording this. What what are you what are you spending your time doing these days with the dogs and and uh, getting through the off season like the rest of us? Oh, uh, we're we're doing a lot of things. We're prepping for hunt tests. Um, you know, kind of getting getting dogs ready for. AKC hunt tests, seniors, masters, as well as uh, NAVDA hunt tests. We're doing natural ability and utility tests, kind of getting prepped for those things and getting our dogs and client dogs all ready for the uh, upcoming season, whether it's waterfowl or upland or both. Um, yeah, we got a couple of trainers that work with us and really excited about them and everything they've allowed us to you know, kind of expand on and do. Just by having them on and having the more having the extra help, um, we get up super early, about four o'clock in the morning, four four thirty. We're up at them, 
training dogs and trying to beat the heat every single day. Yeah, I would, I would imagine it's it, it gets pretty hot there this time of year. What kind of temps are you guys dealing with? Uh, it was 96 today, 94. Wow. 94 to 96. It's pushing, pushing 100 degrees every day right now. So how long can you stay in the training fields then? Uh, we're, we try to get it done by 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, just had a dog overheat last week, and, you know, we kind of deal with – deal with some things on that and so we really want to get up early and, and get everything done before the before the sun starts beating down on us and uh, we can do little things in the evening but we try to try to do the bulk of our training first thing in the morning for the before the rest of the world is awake <laughs> sure yeah makes sense I'm, I'm sure you've got plenty to keep you busy the rest of the day as well well we'll, we'll dive into that for sure a little bit later we'll talk a little bit more about the dogs and, and training but do a little rewind here and I guess before I, I want to get your background a bit, but, but for the listeners, let's give us an overview of no limits kennels, your kennel, kind of what you do and the, the high level, you know, tell us about your business. So, yeah, we're, we're here, here in central Kansas. Um, we train every, every type of bird dog. I mean, we've got a, Poodle Pointer in right now, Britneys, French Britneys, um, Spinoni. Well, actually, Spinoni is something I'm getting ready to work with here. I'm kind of excited about that one. <laughs> um, the short hairs, we, so we breed and train short hairs, and that's kind of our our niche within the gun dog community is uh, versatile GSPs. Um, and we we waterfowl hunt with them, and we, we upland bird hunt with them, and we really – it's really a half and half deal where we're putting in just about as many days waterfowl, you know, hunting ducks and geese as we are, uh, upland birds. A lot of days we're actually doing both, um, over the same, the same dogs. So that's, that's kind of a, a cool thing. And then we, in the off season, we train and test, um, various different testing organizations. We do uh, confirmation events. We do, AKC hunt test, and we also do NAVDA, which is North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. Um, we go through their hunt testing and um, have passed a few dogs there in utility, and we're we're still still learning, still growing. We're still kind of in the infancy of what we're what we're doing here as far as uh, testing and and the high high level training. Um, you know, kind of striving striving to get in get some dogs qualified for the national invitational and things like that so we're still learning and we, we learn something every day trying to learn every day learning i love it jc yeah that's 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 kind of one of my models i try to try to pick up something new every day whether it's whether it's with hunting or or personal development as we were kind of chatting about a little bit earlier you know anything it's you got to get a little bit better every day for sure you mentioned the spinoni that's kind of funny i you know it's not a very common breed but I actually have had some experience hunting over a Spinoni. One of my really good buddies up here up north has one. It's his first bird dog. So I've spent some time in the grouse woods hunting over her. And and uh, there was a, a recent episode of Ron Bain's podcast, Honey Dog Podcast, where it, his guest had a Spinoni on. So not a not a common breed, but but they are they are neat dogs. That'll be that'll be kind of cool for you to have one in the kennel. Yeah, heck yeah, I'm excited about seeing one of those and kind of getting to work with them. And that's the cool part about being where we're at, we're right in the middle of the United States. And, you know, most of my, my clients come from, you know, every different state. We've got a dog in from California right now. Um, 
Virginia, Maryland. I mean, we get them from all over. And why these people, I always tell my clients, like, you skipped over about six better trainers than I on the way here. <laughs> like, like, I don't want to. I don't want to put myself down by any means, but you know, I'm very, very grateful that, that you uh, think so highly of us and our training. So that's awesome. That's what it's all about to, to me is just those connections that you get to make and you get to kind of attract who you are and attract what, what you are. So that's awesome. I, I love all those different breeds and getting to work with so many different ones. You get to see kind of the, the different levels and the different types of dogs and, you know, what makes each one of them tick. That's, that's pretty cool to me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, you know, being, being, uh, being grateful and humble as, as you are, JC, or those, those are two, two traits, qualities that, uh, not a bad thing. So keep, yeah. I'd say keep doing what you're doing. Now we're going to rewind cause I do want to talk about your background, but just to set the record straight, how long ha- has no limits kennels been open kind of in operation? So me full time in it? Yeah. Well, no, I, I'm more interested. When when did it start? Oh, uh, it started. I was working for the power company. I was a lineman for several years. Um, so it would have been been about two, two three years ago. Everything started kind of coming together little by little. Um, I went full time into this uh, last year, last April. So just a year and some change here. Um, and yeah, you can kind of, kind of see some of our prerequisites. It, it looks kind of like we, we blew up. I mean, everybody kind of, everybody that knows me knows that I'm, we're out here every single day. I mean, sun up, sun down doing something, whether it's planting food plots or, or training our personal dogs or training client dogs, it doesn't matter. We're, we're full time, full time. Awesome. Well, congratulations. That's, 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 that's was was your goal setting out i imagine and and you're living the dream now so let's let's do what we said we were going to do and rewind now you today you own and operate a kennel you train bird dogs you breed bird dogs but it started somewhere and and it started started before no limits kennels when when was that initial spark as far as upland hunting goes that that got you going jc uh, so growing up here in central Kansas, there's really not a whole lot to do. I mean, there's, I got to get, we got to drive two hours to get to a mall or, you know, something, something. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad thing though. <laughs> yeah. For a lot of people are, you got to drive a couple hours. So central Kansas isn't quite as bad as Western Kansas as far as population, but there's really not a, not a ton of people out, out this way. So you, you really just grew, I grew up hunting. Um, and not, not saying that I was an avid hunter growing up, but I, I grew up, you know, around it and got to talk my stepdad into, Hey, can I, can I go out with you guys? Or can we, can we come? And I got to carry a block of wood for my first upland hunt. And, you know, if I pointed that block of wood the wrong direction, I get smacked on the head and ah, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, get that trans transitioned into a BB gun. You know, I, there'd be a bird flopping around. I get to shoot the, shoot the already dead bird. Um, but we really never had the, the hunting dogs. We never, I never got to hunt over very many of any hunting dogs. And the ones that we did get to hunt over didn't really produce. I mean, they, they really didn't help the hunt that much. (laughs) Um, so, uh, yeah, kind of growing up, it was, 
it was something we always did. Every dove season, we'd be out shooting shooting a mess of doves. Every upland bird season, we'd get together with family and friends and be an early morning, and we'd go walk, and maybe one person had a dog, maybe, um, that may or may not have contributed, if you catch catch me there. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I grew up hunting, and we grew up in the deer blind, you know, sitting there. Probably, I think I shot my first deer when I was 13. 14, you know, still young. I still got to go and, and experience all that, but it really never clicked for me. It never really, it wasn't something I really cared to do. So, uh, going through high school and I think through high school, I might've went out opening day at dove season. I think that's the only season I haven't missed since I was 12. Sure. Um, so going through high school, you know, at sports and everything else, I really wasn't wasn't into hunting that much. Deer hunting was boring to me. You know, you sit there and sit there and sit there and sit there. And I'm not much for a trophy hunter. So it was just kind of like, eh, this is cool, but this isn't, this isn't really my thing. Sure. So, uh, yeah, get out of high school. I, heck, I think I was an oil tech. I, I didn't really have any plans of college or anything. And, um, met my wife and my wife now, <laughs> um, <laughs> met her and she kind of pushed me into kind of pushed me to do a little bit better for myself. So I, I got into electrical power technology and, um, uh, started being a lineman. I was a lineman for some years and I got to go hunting with those guys for up on bird season. Um, and I saw a really, really nice Brittany that I liked. I was like, this is awesome. Like a dog that can actually help us. He's actually out here finding these birds. Who wouldn't have found that thing if he wasn't here? So after seeing that, it kind of sparked sparked the, okay, I, I love dogs, and I've worked with dogs since I was very, very little, you know, um, worked with everybody's dog, did high levels of training, but, you know, never knew that there was a market or that this was a career path at all. Um, yeah. I knew enough about dogs to know that, hey, I want to find a good one. I'm not going to just spend money on on whatever's available i'm not going to run down a walmart parking lot and just grab whatever's out there so i did a little bit of research online and found a breeder uh, they didn't have any puppies available but he sent me to a guy out in iowa um who's now my buddy brad i bought my first bird dog from him cash oh cash dog <laughs> <laughs> um so i bought bought cash from from brad out there and come back and I think Cash was maybe four months old, and it was September 1st. And we, I think I had that dog out in the field every single day, like every single day. So we took him dove hunting, and he retrieved more dove in that first season. That, you know, just sparked me right there, and just seeing him do that, and then just kept going with it more and more and more and more. I was just ate up with it. Um, Meanwhile, I have this, you know, this really – intense kind of more high level blue collar job so it was kind of like that was always pulling me one way and i wanted to go this way now you know i had this dog and i'm wanting to be out in the field shooting birds down and yeah we get into up on bird season and i was i swear we were out every single day i get off at 4 30 i would haul ass home (laughs) grab my dog and we hit a field like whether it was one field or two fields whatever we could get in before dark and it didn't matter if i shot a bird or didn't shoot a bird i was just happy to be running my dog and yeah that that cash pup he had a 
he had an extensive first season. Um, then we wrapped up that season, and I go to a NAVDA training weekend and see the high-level high level dogs work. You know, I'm sitting there like I'm getting ready for a natural abilities test, and I was like, oh, I want to see these utility dogs, not knowing anything about it. Went and watched, and I was like, yep, this is it. Like, that is amazing. These dogs are leaving your side for 10 to 30 minutes at a time, going out looking for a duck that they don't even know is out there. That's That was amazing to me. And then the, you know, 100-yard drags, 200-yard drags, they're doing just amazing things. And about from that point on, it was, it's it's in the books, man. It's, that was, uh, I got ate up with it really, really bad, and I haven't. I haven't even stopped to take a breath since then. Dogs will do that to a guy. That's 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 probably that's a cool story. It's probably not an uncommon one. Uh, that's it's it's very neat to hear. Now I think either I missed it or you skipped over this part, and I kind of already know the answer to this, but but not everybody that's listening does. Was Cash wasn't a Brittany, was he? Oh no, short hair. Short He's hair. Short hair. No, no, no worries. Now. Because you said you said that you originally saw Brittany that that kind of kind of opened up your eyes and and turned the light bulb on for you. But when the decision came to buy your first dog, you talked about you know doing your research and and not not going down to Walmart parking lot picking up a pup. What what led you to GSPs and then you know ultimately to cash? So we're we're nestled right here in between these two large marshes and we do a lot of waterfowl hunting. Okay, uh, we do a lot of duck and goose hunting, and it's not. You know, it's not big open water. It's it's just a it's an easy marsh, and for the hunting that I was doing, it was the short hair was going to be perfect because teal season was was and is my bread and butter. I I'll never miss that. <laughs> um, we go out and for teal season. It's early. It's you know mid September, and that's my my favorite thing. So I wanted a dog that could do everything and do everything well. You know, it may not be the best retrieving dog may not be the best pointing dog but they're the swiss army knife of of all of it sure yeah we can we can track deer with these dogs we can i can track people with these dogs we can get these dogs to do amazing things you know they're not the best at any certain thing but they're the total package um jack of all trades if you will it's kind of like like me in my my life i've I uh, I like to do a lot of things, and I get real real passionate and excited about a lot of different things. But uh, yeah, that's that's why we ended up on the on the short hair was like we could see the the versatility, and you know the the short hairs were dominating in all of the NAVDA NAVDA hunt test stuff. So it was like that's that's a really easy easy decision for me because you know it's I'm I'm doing dove hunting, I'm doing teal hunting. We're getting into duck hunting, goose hunting, and then we're straight into upland bird hunting there in November. So I wanted a dog that I could extend my season and do all of that and do all of that at least, you know, pretty well. Yeah, turns out, turns out that was the best decision I'd made. <laughs> all of all of that, those training moments there at the beginning were, uh, we'll just say we can keep, we can feel bad for cash a little bit. <laughs> you know, it's like took that dog through the ringer. I did some really, really dumb things. Uh, yeah, that poor dog. But he's he's doing good now, and yeah, he's he's got a master hunt title, and he had that by the time he's two years old, and 
just excited about that kind of stuff. But oh, the the flip side of that is uh, I took him to a junior hunt test first when he was six months old. So it's just I think it was in the middle of hunting season. I was like, I'm gonna go get this junior hunt title on my dog. And we went the first day, and it's a double-double. So there's two tests one day and two tests the next day. Okay. So all you got to do is pass four, and you get your title. And I'm reading the rules, and it says, okay, all your dog has to do is point, and then you go kick the bird up, and then you fire this blank gun. Well, that's that's easy enough. All the pros I talked to, yeah, it's, it's easy. Go do it. Like, okay, here I go. So we show, I show up out there, you know, and I don't have any idea what I'm doing. You know, never <laughs> been anything like this. and. I dropped this poor dog on the ground that I don't even think he had seen many of any quail at that point. Um, just because of, like, I didn't train for, it. I don't know. I'm just here. Like you yeah. got to point a bird. I've seen him point birds out in the yard. He's good. <laughs> I got this. So we went and we failed two, both those junior hunt tests that day. And that'll, that's a kick in the nuts. Like, yeah. like, uh, everybody's telling you, Oh, that's easy, man. You got to, you can just go do that. No big deal. You got it. I'm sitting here thinking I've got this really, really well-trained dog at this point. Like I, you know, I, he's good. I know he's good. And we show up and we fail a junior hunt test twice in a row. And that was, I think that was a lot more my fault than his. Sure. Well, I know it, I know it was my fault, but, uh, yeah, it was just handler error. I'm out there kicking up birds and like fire your blank. I'm like, what? Oh, <laughs> shoot it. Like I didn't even get up there, you know, and just silly things like that. But no, that's kind of the, the the evolution of everything was, you know, we everything I've done with these dogs, especially with my personal dogs. So at the professional level I'm at now, I'm a lot more comfortable. We, we don't have these mistakes. We don't have these failures. But it was only because I had all of these failures with with my personal dogs, you know, and just kind of had to go through everything, had to, had to go through it all and, you know, go through the struggle and the grind and everything, just trying to figure it out. But yeah, I mean, we, we failed everything. I failed the first utility test I went to. We failed that. I mean, we failed our first, well, I didn't, we failed all of the senior hunt test stuff that we tried. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to put him straight in the masters. He's ready. And I had people all around like, Oh no, he's not ready. He's not ready. He's not ready. You couldn't have done that that fast. And I'm like, I'm only working with one dog here. Like he's ready. And, uh, yeah, we went up to Nebraska, double-double, and went four for four up there. And shortly after that, we picked up the last two passes and put my first Master Hunt title on a dog. So that was that was cool. But, I mean, you kind of got to get the whole <laughs> – it all came full circle, man. It was a – Yeah. It was a, it was a process. And it, it wasn't – what definitely wasn't all fun, but uh, it was worth it. It yeah. was worth it. And I, I learned a lot. He learned a lot. And, yeah, we we can delve into all the other. I mean, from from cash. I just, I mean, I bought his littermate brother. A uh, guy was getting divorced, kind of messy situation. I just bought his brother from him. I was like, I love this dog. I want that one. And then I'm buying more and more and more and more. I'm just grabbing dogs left and right. Um, it seemingly it seems like that's what I was doing. I was really stri- strategic about it because I'm not. I want certain genetics and I want to do this better. Um, you know, if I'm not, if we're not aiming to be the best, then we just pack all this stuff up, yeah. call it, call it good. But so we're, we're, we're doing it and we're doing it as best as we can learning more every, every day. And yeah, blessed with amazing clients from every corner of the world, man. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, JC, I, I appreciate your honesty in, the, in that I can, I can relate. I can relate to a lot of what you said just because I, my, my bird dog is four years old. He's the first one I've ever had. And, you know, we, we all make mistakes obviously, but, but it's, it's fresh, kind of fresh in my mind. And, and it's, like you said, you started from you started from ground zero. You started from ground zero. Didn't know anything, and here you are today. You know, running a running a professional business, and you've got you know great dogs and satisfied clients. So th- the point I'm trying to make is that everybody starts somewhere, and the thing that you did that maybe others don't is you took action. You you went to that you went to that NAVDA event. You put your dog in. Dog failed but you learn from it and you kept moving the next day. I mean, that's, it's really as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, if I always do what I've always done, then I'll always be what I've always been. Bingo. And yeah. I mean, that's just, it's, it seems kind of simple, but that's really, really how my life has been, you know, and here, here lately, it's just, it's going nuts. Got so many cool things in, in the works and uh, yeah, it, it's a lot. It's a lot for me and I don't want to sit here and bloviate all, all evening but it's uh there's there's a lot to it you know there's there's a lot to be said and there's a lot i'd, I'd like to to say but let's uh i'll, I'll keep on track here with you and I'll, I'll let you roll with it <laughs> sounds good man well i think a good good place to pick it up then would be so you got cash you kind of talked about the the early struggles trials tribulations but eventually you guys found a rhythm and you know, you started getting these other dogs. So how did, how did No Limits Kennels sort of pick up steam? When did you, when did you realize, Hey, I, I really like this. I got something going. And then, you know, maybe it was that first person that said, yeah, I don't know how your prison started. But maybe that first person said, Hey, you should train my dog. You know, was it kind of one of those stories? Let's like, let's pick it up there. So I've, I have trained dogs, not, not professionally, but I've trained, you know, behavior modification and, and all the basic things since I was maybe 12, okay. um, you know, just working with, with my, my personal mutt that I had, I got her when I was in fourth grade, um, you know, and she'd do all kinds of crazy things. And then I'd have other people like, Hey, can you do something with this dog? And we'd get another dog and we, I would do, you know, little things, you know, all the little basic stuff. After that, it kind of, like there was a transition period there where it was before bird dogs, but you know, I was getting into dogs more. I got a Conacorso, it's just Italian Mastiff. And I got into that, you know, just big, powerful dogs um, that, you know, they say that they can't be around other people. You know, their, their breed standard is like, oh, they can't be trusted around kids, other dogs, children, strangers, things like that. And I, I basically took that as a challenge, like, bet me, <laughs> let's do it. So I, I went and got one of these big, powerful dogs out in Chicago and brought this huge dog back, and, you know, she's she's awesome. She's around a bunch of other people, around a bunch of other dogs, and, you know, I just kind of, that, that's really where my dog training started, and then uh, had, a, had some friends that had a German Shepherd that was very, very aggressive. And I helped them get through that. And, you know, it's kind of just a, I didn't know at that point though, that this was a a career opportunity or it was something that I could do and and make a living. It wasn't, it wasn't evident. I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know that. I thought you just had to breed dogs and sell them. That's how you made, that's how you made the living. And 
I did not want to just be breeding dogs to be breeding dogs. Like there, there is a problem with that. So that's kind of where we got into, into the dog training, into the world. And as soon as I got into NAVDA and we're seeing other professionals and stuff like this, and I was watching them like, Oh my gosh, I can do this. I can definitely do this. I'm going to do this. And from that point on, it was like, I'm going to do this and it doesn't really matter what happens in, in life here. This is what I'm doing. This is what I was put on earth to do. And, you know, wanted it bad enough that I, I fought for it and I worked day and night. It was all I could dream and scheme of, you know, just put everything I had into it, built, built our kennel with my own two hands and my brother-in-law. And, you know, we, I used my, my money as a lineman, you know, as for, to fund my, my kennel and this new venture. And I had a, had a buddy that runs an outfitter service out here. And he says, uh, I, I was actually asking all kinds of outfitters around like, Hey, you guys need some help. I got a couple bird dogs. Uh, I'd like to guide some hunts, you know, like there's plenty of birds and they're like, Oh no, we don't do that. We just stick with deer and Turkey. Like, okay. So, you know, I'm asking the next guy, the next guy. I finally asked my buddy, a high school friend of mine. It's like, Hey, do you have any like need for this? Like, would you let me take out a couple of your clients maybe after their deer hunt or something? where I could, I'll take them out hunting. I got these nice dogs and I'd be happy to do it. I think it'd be awesome. You know, just wanted to get other people as excited as I was about upland bird hunting. I didn't have any friends that were really into upland bird hunting. So it was like, I'm going to make my own friends. Like watch. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like trying to drag everybody out with me every day. Um, and then, uh, yeah, my buddy's like, let's do it. One thing led to another. And now we're, <laughs> I don't mean to make it sound like it was an overnight deal, but you know, in, in three years we went from zero clients to hundreds of clients. Uh, my, my upland and waterfowl combination hunts for this season are, are nearly all booked up. I, I don't have any more to sell. I, there's no way. So what I'm, what we're doing now is kind of growing, growing the business and I'm trying to, uh, trying to get other people involved and trying to get other trainers out here so we can help even more people and trying to get more guides out here so we can guide, guide more people and, and do the whole thing. We've got several lodges and everything's always full and our, our cups just run over every, every year. Um, never, I don't mean to make it sound like it wasn't a struggle and it's not still a struggle, but like extremely, extremely blessed with the, the caliber of clients that we get in. And, you know, that they're rebooking every season now. and Just awesome people, awesome people all around us. Like, you know, from, from the start to now, everybody that's, that's around us is just amazing. Like, we, we couldn't have done this without all of these amazing people. And I don't want, want any of these people to ever forget, you know, like, thank you for believing in me. Because when I quit my job as a lineman, you know, I was pushing a six-figure income for a 24-year-old kid. Um, that was a big step when I said, hey, I'm out of here. Yeah. And everyone, what? <laughs> no, like people would kill for this job. You, you don't just quit this. People come here to work and then they die here. Like they, they come here and they work here 45, 50 years and then they, they leave. No one just comes and leaves like that. You can't do that. And I even think some of my family members thought, I was going to starve, you know, (laughs) 
and it would you know no no disrespect to anybody but right like they didn't you didn't get it until until you got it like until it was like evident that there's nothing going to slow me down stop me i'm going after this 100 percent full speed full heart like i'm coming this is what i'm doing this is what i'm here for yeah, absolutely, man. You gotta sometimes you gotta you gotta swim against the current a little bit, and people are gonna people are gonna raise an eyebrow here and there. But but obviously you kept at it, and you're on the other side of it now. And I would imagine most people look at you and think, boy, you know, he's doing well for himself. And and as you kind of alluded to it, you know, it's not it's uh, an old coworker of mine used to say, it ain't all glory. And I, I always I always laugh at that because you know, yeah, it, everybody. It's sometimes it's it's challenging to look at everybody else's lives and especially in today's day and age sometimes you just see the highlight reel and and you got to remember that everybody has their own struggles and and you got to find your own way but but the key is the key is you know keep going find your own way and and don't take any excuses yeah yeah for sure i mean just just give more than you're getting like just that reciprocity just give more than you get like i when i first started this i had four clients and one of them was my grandmother (laughs) <laughs> I had four training clients, and that was it. You what know? were you, what were you like, training for your grandmother? Uh, she had a little cocker. Oh, she cool! She still has this little cocker. It, it's she's a little fireball, is what she is. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I had a little cocker spaniel, and I, I had a buddy's Labrador, and a couple of other dogs, and just that's that's where I started. We were <laughs> it was tight, you know. It was it wasn't uh it wasn't the lifestyle I was used to living at 24 years old and having a such a high paying blue collar job, but, uh, definitely, definitely worth it here awesome. now. And we're, we're still growing. We're still, still getting better, still learning something every day, going to training clinics, people will see us out there. And I love, I, I love the support, you know, it now that's really all we get. It's all I hear anymore is just love and support. And Hey, what can I do to help you? And, and you know, I kind of look at him like, no, I'm, I'm helping you, and you're you help me all the time. Like I'm helping you. Like please, <laughs> let me do something for you. And everybody's just, you know, that reciprocity is is awesome. Like just so so grateful for for all the people in our life and all of our clients and just I have fans. I I signed an autograph the other day. <laughs> I bet you I bet you didn't expect you were going to be doing that about five years ago. Mm-hmm. No, no, I did not expect that at all. <laughs> Man, that's cool. That's cool. Well, well, you know, we could. I've, I'm always, I'm a big fan of uh, entrepreneurship, success, business. I, I could kind of talk about that stuff all day long, but we'll, 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 uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll take a little. We got sidetracked there a bit, but I want to, I want to transition and sort of go into a little bit of a sort of practical, tactical stuff. And, and cause you know, it is, it is the summer we've got, we've got hunting season fast approaching and, and you, I'm sure like myself and, and all of our listeners, we can't wait for the fall. We love it. It's what we live for, but there's a lot of people out there that probably have young pups or younger dogs, maybe going from first season to second season. Uh, let's, let's dive in and, and I want to see, you know, let's say you get a, let's say you get a you got an eight week old pup or, you know, maybe it's a couple months old now approaching its first season. What are you doing with that, with that puppy this summer before the, before the dog's first season, if anything? I'm really just socializing those, those young dogs. Really it's socialization. That's going to be the big key to everything. Um, it's going to save 
save everyone so much time and it's going to save it's going to save you a lot of headaches down the road. Um, the socialization, as far as being in a crate, you know, you're going to go hunting and this little puppy needs to know that this crate doesn't stay in the same spot on the floor in the living room, you know, every night, sometimes you got to sleep in there in the other room. And sometimes I want you to sleep in there, the other room. And, you know, if it's going to be nice out, you can sleep out in the garage, you know, in, in the garage, just, you know, be safe about it. I'm not going to sit here and tell people that, do things, but I, I try to get that socialization thing done, especially with a crate, especially with other people and other dogs. I mean, that's going to be a big, big thing that you may not see, like you may not see the value in it now, but a year from now you will, yeah. you will definitely see that your dog has been socialized and has seen all these different situations. And when one of these new situations arises, they, they're comfortable. They're not freaking out and they're not, they're not going to lose it. Like, everything is, is okay. And you can, they can deal with a lot more situations and circumstances if, if they have that solid foundation, solid socialization. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. And I, I, I would highlight that, you know, I can, I certainly second a lot of that stuff just from what I've seen, but the, even as simple as, as that crate, like you said, you know, moving that crate around because yeah, it, it's, they're very habitual and, and they get into the routine and it well and they're and they're they're kind of they're place oriented right so the if they learn something one place it's not necessarily ingrained i think i've heard some people say they got to learn it three different places before it's kind of universal but those kinds of I agree things with that. yeah so all right so so then we've got to do you know before we take our dogs into the field are, are we doing intro to birds Intro to birds, um, just kind of depends on the dog, depends on the dog, depends on the age. This is, uh, this is kind of a touchy subject with, with some people. And I know some people are going to chastise, chastise anything I say here, but sure. Intro to birds. I, I, I can do it with my personal dogs. You know, I'll do that at mm, 12, 16 weeks old, somewhere in there. Um, and I'll use a, a quail or a, pigeon or you know just a, a live bird um and you can kind of you, you gauge your own dog i mean this is this is the most important part of well one of the most important pieces of your dog training is like you got to know your dog yeah you know you got to know if you got to know what makes your dog tick and learn and you can't really create a situation especially around birds or gunfire that they're not ready for um so with with my personal dogs i'm I know, you know, how they're bred and I know all their parents and their lineage and kind of understand that, okay, this is a high powered dog and it's, there's about nothing you could do to scare them. Um, and then a big thing, if, if you should happen to accidentally scare your dog, play everything off, play it off. Like it's normal. This is, yeah. <laughs> this is regular everyday life. I don't know what you're freaking out about, but you know, try, I mean, definitely don't, want to scare your dog but if something should happen and your dog's acting a little timid play it cool like play it cool just keep doing whatever you were doing the worst thing you could do for your your puppy is to comfort them when they're scared i mean that that energy is not good for your dog yeah i mean that's just a big big no-no um that's kind of why we don't train little dogs is because little dogs get scared and what's everybody gonna do just pick up this cute little little dog and oh it's okay puppy and you know, that's just a big, 
big no-no in my world. Just leave the dog be, play everything out like it's normal, and the dog will accept that as, that's normal, okay. No one else is freaking out. Yeah. Why why am I freaking out? Okay, there's no reason to freak out. Okay, we're good. But uh, now if you get a bold dog, you can start that bird introduction early, um, but you really got to be able to read your own dog. That's that's the big thing, you know. If you take a timid dog and you throw a bird out in front of its face, and you you may have made a huge mistake if that bird flaps its wings and scares that dog, you know. And that's not something that you you want to do. And you could potentially ruin a lot of really nice dogs by doing things too early. Um, so if you if you know your dog, I'd say get with your breeder. You know, talk talk to the the people who bred this dog and they'll have a better understanding of what it's, what it's going to take and um, how to, how to get there, how to get that started, you know, bird, bird introduction, especially um, gun introduction, introductions kind of the same way. Like just talk with someone that is standing there and either knows your dog, knows you or, you know, the breeder. Um, NAVDA training weekends are really, really good. They're a huge help. Um, I think they want your puppy to be 16 weeks old now before they, before you can bring them to a training weekend. But okay. you know, that's a, that's a perfect time. I mean, 16 weeks old, that'll be just fine. Take your dog to a NAVDA weekend, get involved, kind of get with some mentors there. No one there is, it's not a competition. It's a test. So no one there wants to see you fail. Everyone, everyone that's been at these weekends is just helps me in, in my journey and, you know, they're very, very supportive and helpful and they just, no one wants to see you fail, but you know, nothing's going to be given to you. <laughs> like you got to be willing to be there and put in the work and put in the time. But yeah, NAVDA weekends are, are an awesome thing. You know, local clubs, local chapters, things like that. Just get involved with people that, you know, have been there and done that. Um, call, call a local trainer and, you know, kind of someone that you trust and see what they think, you know, put put the puppy in front of their eyes they'll they'll be able to kind of give you a better gauge of what this what this puppy needs and what's gonna make a successful happy puppy or you know maybe let's wait a month and see where we're at yeah but yeah definitely get with somebody you trust yeah yeah i could you know i could add the add the sort of the <clears throat> overarching caveat that you know all this stuff if you're unsure about anything talk to a professional, you know, because it is one of those things where you, you can make, you can make, you know, big mistakes. And so, you know, hopefully, hopefully people are aware of that and are observing their dog's behavior. You know, you mentioned, you mentioned timidness. There's other signs that you can see. If you're paying close attention to your dog in those situations, you got to know, you got to know when to back off. And, and like I said, if you're, if you're unsure, talk to a pro, you know, maybe call you up JC or call the breeder. Like you said, I mean, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I hope that goes without saying, but if, if not, we said it here. Yeah. Yeah. And, and dogs, you know, they can't speak. So dogs speak with their body language. So when you're listening to a dog talk, you're using your eyes to listen. I mean, does that that make sense? Like you, yep. you've got to be paying attention. You've got to be actively watching this dog and and know what what this dog is saying to you. And if you can understand that and understand your dog, you're you're set up for success right there. Because I mean, that's that's the key. I mean, you got to be able to read read all of these individual dogs and kind of know what they're what they're saying and what makes them tick. 
You know, some dogs will do anything for a retrieve. Some dogs won't do anything for a retrieve. You know, some dogs need a treat. Some dogs just need some praise. You know, find that find that huge reward or that huge payday for that dog that that dog really, really wants and use that for your training and use that use that to get you to the next step and then the next step and the next step. Yeah, definitely. Uh, now, you can you can sort of say whether or not you agree, but what I've at least sort of read, seen, observed that, you know, training dogs is, is much about being able to read their behavior and, and then the timing, this the timing of your, your corrections or adjustments or however you want to call it. And like, well, I, I know my one dog's behavior pretty well. I haven't seen a whole lot of dogs and, and the dogs that I have seen, I don't see them nearly as much as mine. So if you, on the other hand, you get to see so many different dogs on such a regular basis. I think you, you know, uh, uh, pro trainers, their ability to read individual dogs is going to affect their, the quickness and the appropriateness of their timing, which I think leads to better training. Absolutely. Yeah. That the timing and consistency, timing and consistency. And I'm talking about whether your, your timing has got to be correct for rewards and your timing's also got to be correct for corrections. Sure. You know, if you're if you're going to make a correction that's ill-timed, you're just you're doing more damage than good. I mean, your dog may grow to really dislike you, <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's really sad to me when I'm out hunting and you, we have clients come out and they're they're running their dogs and having a good time, but when they say, you know, whoa, this dog just crumbles, like yeah. like just crumbles, can't handle that cue, and like okay, well somebody didn't do this right please don't do this wrong in front of me because this is where I, I do have to say something. <laughs> like yeah. This is where I do have to be like, okay, no, we're not going to get heavy handed with, with this animal right here. No, 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 no. You're, you're doing far more harm than good. But, but yeah, your, your timing is everything. Consistency, timing, old school trainers, old school people. Oh, the dog, the puppy pees in the house. You you find the puppy, you grab it by the scruff of the neck, you rub its nose and its pee, you smack it on the butt, and you throw it outside. That You can't tell me that that puppy remembers that it peed. <laughs> I don't care if it was six seconds after or two seconds after. Like That puppy doesn't even remember that it peed. Like It doesn't know what's going on. So like that that's just senseless. It's, it's, to me, it's, it's causing more harm than good. Now you're you're teaching your puppy, hey, stay away from this guy because he's going to grab me and smack me and throw me outside. Like, I'm not going to go anywhere near this guy. So it'll hurt your recall. And then your, if your recall is not solid, I mean, it'll hurt your retrieve. It'll hurt everything. So, like, just those those basic fundamentals, like, you've got to have that down. If you catch your dog peeing, if you catch your puppy peeing right there, then you can make the correction while they're peeing because that is a, an appropriate time to make a correction. And, and your correction can be your severity. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your your dog, but that's the only time you can make a correction is when, especially with puppies, while they're in the act. Because five seconds later, they have forgot all about peeing over there. You know, they may recognize their own urine. I don't know. I'm not a not a. I don't know the science behind it, but <laughs> I, I do know that that's going to hurt your your relationship with your your puppy. And if you can catch them in the act, you know, give a stern no, grab them, take them outside, put them down outside, let them pee. As soon as they go pee outside, yay, throw a party. Heck yeah. I had a pup. 
give them a treat, you know, you know, give them that reward. Like instead of, instead of being heavy handed and always making corrections, like pay the dog, the dog's doing a job for you that you want it to do. Pay the dog, whether it's praise, a treat, a retrieve, you know, pay the dog. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you, you kind of finished that out there. Cause I was, I was just going to, for the sake of the example, I wanted to, to sort of close the loop and, and ask you, you know, what you would, what you would do. So, so dogs peeing, if you can get there before the dog finishes peeing, that's an appropriate time, pick them up, bring them out to, you know, oftentimes people will have a certain spot where they put them, put them there. And when he pees there, praise him, like you said. So that's, you know, that's something actionable. That's something people can do. The thing to remember is like you said, it's, I mean, we're talking seconds here where if the dog is, is done peeing for one, two seconds, you're, you're probably better off just going right to cleaning up the pee and, and not worrying about the puppy. Cause you missed your timing. Yeah. Yeah. Or just pick the dog up and go outside and wait until the puppy pees again. It'll, it'll happen in five minutes or less. I bet. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> good point. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you, you just be productive. We want to see progress. We don't want to see, you know, anyone go backwards with their dog and their relationship with their dog. And, you know, that's everything we do out here is, you know, trying to build that relationship because just because these dogs will do all these awesome things for me, well, that does you no good. Like you have to be able to handle your dog and, and kind of understand what the, what and the why we have trained this particular way. Um, and in which we're always evolving in, in our forms of training. You know, if I learn something better that someone is doing better and getting better results, I'm going to try it. I am going to try it and I'll try it on my, my own dogs first of all. And then I'm, I'm going with it. But you know, if there's a better way to do something, I want to be doing it that way. You know, if, if I talk to, you know, uh, Ronnie Smith or Clyde better or Bill Hickox or somebody like that, and they say, Hey, we're doing it this way. Well, I want to see how they're doing it because I consider you the best in this industry. I want to go out to your clinic. I want to watch you do it. And then I'm going to bring it back and I'm going to do it as well. Learn from, or I'm gonna, learn from people I'm, that have uh, more experience than you do, right? That's, that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Yeah. There's people that have forgot more than I may ever know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I definitely want to reach out to those people and say, Hey, I, I could really use, use the information that you have. If you're willing to, willing to help me out and I'll do whatever I can to help you out. That'd be awesome. But yeah, always trying to learn, man. Always. Excellent. JC. So that's, so that's, that's a, that's a good bit about puppies. Now, eventually puppies, puppies turn into, uh, turn into juveniles, I guess, if you will, they, they get a little bit older and, and we start talking about, especially with pointing dogs, we start talking about a little bit more serious bird work, um, in, you know, in the off season specifically, now we could we could go down a go off on a tangent on this for a little while, but what's I just want to get sort of a general overview of your method and when it comes to bird work and what level of steadiness you like to bring your dogs with the thought in mind that they are at the end of the day they are guide dogs, so that brings in some some other elements too. Yeah, so my personal dogs, I, I really try to get them steady to shot. Um, if not steady to shot, then steady, steady to flush, steady to wing. Whatever. Yeah, steady to wing, whatever. birds in the air. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd really try to get all of mine to that level, but it's not, if the dog's not there, if that puppy's not there, it's just not there. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to push, push the envelope and try to get them there. You know, I have, I'm blessed to have eight, nine 
10 pointing dogs. So um, for, for me, I'd like if, you know, if I was going back to one dog and going to go back through it just, you know, with one dog and I'm going to hunt with this dog, I'm not guiding with it. I would just let this dog figure it out on its own. Sure. And wild birds are going to teach these dogs so many things. Like these wild birds can teach these dogs things that I couldn't even dream of. Yep. Like you get to get to see some really, really cool things. If you're just out in the field, get out in the field, take your dog, go learn, go learn together. Like you'll learn a lot. Your dog will learn a whole lot more and be, be a hell of a lot better bird hunter than you could ever dream about being. Um, just just from you know that natural instinct just from seeing it a few times yeah um and especially if they're successful in, in situations you know if you got a pointing dog and it's going out and flushing birds and you go shoot birds for it that it, it is flushed well now you have a flushing dog because it it was just successful in that situation why stop here i mean yeah genetics is telling me i need to stop here but i run in there and try to get that bird but i miss but it goes up in the air and i still get that retrieve if, if you're going out, you know, and you have the one dog, I would just be careful about what you're, what you're doing. You know, you've got a young dog out there and you don't want to create any, any bad habits or situations that are going to be hard, hard to fix in the long run. But, you know, almost everything's fixable. We can almost fix anything that anybody can mess up. But <laughs> sometimes we, we it just takes to, longer you know? to, to do it than, than to get it right the first time though. Right. 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 So just kind of watch if you're, if you've got a flushing dog, dog get in there and flush and retrieve and, and that kind of thing. I, I don't like to put a whole bunch of training on a young dog. You know, I like for that dog to go into season. My main concern is recall. Like okay. yeah. when I say pup here, does that dog turn around and come to me or does that dog keep running, play with the rabbit a little bit, chase this groundhog and then come back? No, i <laughs> I would like, I mean, that's my, my big thing. And that's, that's more for the dog's safety than anything, you know, just we're coming up on a road, almost everything out here in Kansas square. Yeah. So we've got roads everywhere. You know, I see a truck coming. I want to know that I can call that dog and that dog will turn around and come back to me. So that's my big thing. And after that, just let the puppy be a puppy, let them figure it out. They'll figure it out better than us overthinking it and trying to do things that may just fall, you know, those wheels might fall off come hunting season anyway. Um, but I definitely don't want to be too hard on a, on a young dog. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Last technical question on training for you. Do you have a, do you have a specific method for teaching? Whoa. And I'm not talking about young dogs now. I'm not talking about any specific time. We'll just say when the dog is ready. Do you have a specific method of training woe that you prefer? And if so, what is it? Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do have a specific method. and I've, Yeah, you're, you're going for the big one here. Um, <laughs> so I, we don't use check cords in our training. Okay. Um, and that's just us. And I'm not saying it's wrong. And I'm not saying anything for or against check cords. I'm just saying sure. I've, I've never put a check cord on any dog. That's the first thing. And the second thing, I've never put a flank collar on a dog. Like, I've never put an e-collar around their flank. Yep. Like, I'm just not going to do it. It's not, it's not, yeah, I can't do that. And I don't know, you can kind of decipher, decipher amongst yourselves whether that's, uh, that's okay or not. But for, for me and, and my client dogs, my personal dogs, it's not going to happen. Sure. So I had to figure out a way 
there's a lot of things, and that's kind of what makes us unique out here. Is we've, there's a lot of things that I just refuse to accept, like um, a lot of the old school force fetch methods. Like, no, like that's not that's not okay with me. I'm not going to do that. I would rather my dog not retrieve than have to full blown force a screaming, crying dog into doing something. Like that dog is either not for me or I'm not going to do it. Like, yeah. Just not, not worth trying. So I either sell the dog and move on or, you know, figure out a better way. Um, in, in which we, we have, and we're, we do really well with our, especially our woe training. I've had uh, some trainers like, how do you do that? And it's not just a, it's not something we just did once and they picked it up right away. Each dog is so different, you know, but we're keying on those rewards. So dogs that are crazy about retrieving, just use the cue and start using the cue and getting that. Don't, don't release that. Don't let that dog go until you see that. So you might say, whoa, and the dog's still running. Like, okay, I'm going to hold up this bumper that I know this dog really likes. Whoa, whoa. Okay. As soon as we get this dog to stop, then I'll, you know, throw this bumper, toss a treat, or some dogs just love chasing pigeons. I'll, I'll toss a homing pigeon as soon as I get four feet stopped. And as soon as I can get that, I can get more. Yep. Like, as soon as I can get the all four feet stopped, for one second, I can get two seconds. And if I can get two seconds, I can get 10. And if I can get 10, I can get 20. And from there, we can go, you know, we can go 30 minutes plus on a woe cue and not lose any intensity. It, like I said, I get really kind of frustrated with with a lot of different people because they have really, really nice dogs. But when, they, when they're giving a cue, this dog crumbles. Like this dog has been overpressured. Yeah. On this certain thing. So when you say, whoa, you're losing intensity. Like the dog, maybe, maybe the dog's tail is, you know, straight up in the air and it just drops a little bit. And then you get up there and the dog drops its tail a little bit more and starts cowering a little bit. That's all off that. In my opinion, that's, that's flank collar. That's, that's just too much pressure to, to do something. Like we don't, I don't want to force a dog into something. If I can convince this dog that, it's your idea. Like you get paid for it. Like you're not coming to no limits kennels for, you know, a prison sentence. You're coming here for, you know, a, a college experience. Like we're going to, we're <laughs> going to get better. We're going to have fun. We're going to learn a lot and you're going to go home and you're not going to be scared of everything, you know, as, as opposed to getting sent to prison. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I mean, I'm kind of making some, some heavy statements there, but you know, really I just, I want a happy dog. I want a happy dog. I want to see a happy dog going out, making a retrieve. I want to see the same happy dog come all the way back, you know, bird in mouth, bumper in mouth, and just just a nice, happy dog that's having fun, and that, in turn, makes me have fun. Like, I'm having more fun when my dogs are having fun, seeing them do what they were born and bred to do and trained to do and all of it. But, you know, when you see those dogs that are just cowering and scared of this, that, or the other, like, it's just unacceptable to me i just don't don't like it and i dang sure not going to train my clients dogs that way i'm not going to train my dogs that way you know because i don't like it it's not it's not fun it's not fun for the dog so what if it takes an extra month to train train this other way and i'm not saying that i'm a strictly positive trainer by any means we we have corrections like now after this dog knows this woe cue 
after this dog understands and, and I'm a hundred percent sure the dog knows what I'm asking it to do. Yeah. And then it starts, the dog starts blowing me off, flipping me the bird and taking off. Well, then I can use my collar pressure. Like I can use my collar pressure and, you know, just pressure versus release here. I can use that collar pressure on whatever stimulation I want to use, kind of depending on the dog. Yeah. But I can use that collar pressure as a correction. But that's after training. Like training comes first. Corrections come come after the dog has learned something. Sure. Like yeah. we can't just sit here and say, hey, dog, what's two plus two? And the dog says six. And like, eh, nope, that's wrong. What's two plus two? Dog says eight. Eh, that's wrong. But I don't, we're not playing a guessing game this isn't deal or no deal we're trying to do something like i want you to understand like what what do we need to do to take a step back and figure this out that's that's where we're at that's where i'm at with training and that's i really think that's why we we do so well with with all of our training dogs and personal dogs and everything it's it may not be the best may not have the the most titles you know we're not the best dog trainers in the world but uh we're we're making strides to that that direction, and we're doing everything we can for the dogs that are in our care. Yeah, I like it, man. You know what? It, it, no Limits Kennel, the beauty of it, it's your kennel. You can do things the way that you want, and as long as you have happy clients that are, that keep dropping their dogs out there, you know, that's – that's that's a win-win I, I at least the way that i see it so i think it's i think it's cool and i think it's i appreciate you giving us a little bit of insight into how you train now i do have one specific question because you're you're definitely talking a lot about getting the dog to demonstrate a behavior and then what is common amongst some trainers at least are you using clickers then to mark that behavior because we talked about the reward but you didn't specifically mention are you marking that behavior in any specific manner so I'm not using a clicker. I'm using good. Okay. I mean, it's it is a marker, but it's not it's not a clicker. So in so you in say opinion, good when the dog demonstrates the behavior. Good, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see what I see what you did there, Chasey. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I mean, I, and there's sometimes where like some people use yes, some people use good, but you know and the end of the day it's it's really the same as as the clicker yes um we're just using a, a word we're using a word or a cue you know and yeah nothing bad is ever going to happen to you if i'm saying good yes good yes good so we have that and then we have our release cues which are okay or the dog's name um gotcha. some dogs we release by name some dogs release by you know okay younger dogs get released by okay go play get out of here yep i'll take <laughs> off and run all over but yeah i'll, I'll uh, have to get a video up on on instagram and stuff i i like showing showing off all of the the dogs woeing up because it's really cool like we didn't have to beat them into this it's it's their decision they really want to do this because there's something awesome coming for them immediately after so i mean that's that's kind of fun and everybody always always enjoys that yeah yeah definitely i i, I agree and you know i've you, you you went into it and we don't really need to really need to dissect it any anymore but i i have seen dogs that you know you can you can visibly see a a, a downgrade in style when they're given a certain command and and you know you don't know specifically what happened and every dog's different and every trainer's different but you kind of see you can kind of see that stuff and and you know it, there are there are more than there's more than one way to skin a cat and there's there's definitely more than one way to to train a dog that's for sure so i i'd say that's that's enough said 
we're 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 nearing the end here. I'm gonna let you go because I know you guys got to get to that wedding. Uh, <laughs> but I do want to ask you. We've we've kind of we've kind of dabbled a little bit in in the hunting that you got, but let's say somebody and and you did say that you're almost booked this fall. But let's say somebody wanted to come down there and 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 get into some upland hunting. You know, this fall, what what kind of what are you guys hunting? I know you're hunting quail. I mean, pheasants. Like, walk us through the season a little bit. So we have uh, dove season opens September first, okay, and then about a week later, teal season opens, and we don't necessarily guide teal hunts we just go out and enjoy everybody else out out on the public marsh um it's kind of fun you know get up at two three in the morning to get down there and get your spot that you have scouted out yep it's kind of it's the whole experience and that's that's always fun to me and then you know right at shooting light there was uh, i believe 600 people out there last year for opening day i mean 600 guns going off all at the same time is is a pretty crazy sound um <laughs> like like boom, deer boom, opener boom, boom, boom. yeah and you know there's fifty thousand of these little blue and green rockets just <laughs> bouncing from pool to pool to pool to pool to pool and it's it is fun it is just you know high it's an adrenaline rush for sure yeah sometimes you you pull the trigger three times like oh crap we shot our limit we're done well that was fun <laughs> yeah you're out of there your hunt was 15 minutes long and, and some days you got to sit down there half the morning to get all your birds but it's it always it's always fun so we go from there and then we get into big duck season oh late september early october and then we open up speckle belly season we have a couple day opener for that and then basically everything opens up for for waterfowl canadian geese snow geese we really have every every species of duck that you can find in the central flyway and then we're up on bird hunting second saturday november every year pheasants and quail and they're always in the same fields like it's really hard to find a find a field that has one or the other especially here in central kansas we got there's pheasants in the field and there's quail in the field you never really know what a point is going to produce you'll have a few dogs stacked up and you don't know if it's a 30 bird covey or if it's a hen or if it's a rooster so it's kind of the anticipation is fun. Like just th- that part is is cool, and no matter what flies up, it's always fun to see the dogs work. And yeah, that's that's always a fun fun time. We, I mean, up on bird seasons are our bread and butter, but we do a combination hunt. So we do, you know, usually it's two days up on bird hunting and one day a waterfowl, and we're we're grinding it out. So the guys that come out and hunt, they know that we may be putting in five miles that day in the grass or maybe putting in 20 like lace up it's time to time to rock and roll yeah. who knows who knows what we're going to get into uh, we planted 300 acres of nothing but bird food this this season and all of our different different leases and um, throughout throughout the hunting season we'll have over 30 40 thousand acres of privately owned ground to run on and uh, we are the only people you know allowed to run on this this land for upland birds we just kind of get along with the farmers and we make sure everybody's everybody's paid well and everybody's happy and we can you know pull fences and dig ditches dig drainage ponds i mean we'll we'll go out and fix pivots and help with harvest which is incidentally going on right now i mean we'll we'll help with everything just just for the for the access and 
you know, just to help these, help these farmers out, help our clients out and, you know, make sure we have the best hunting options out here in Kansas. And uh, we hope to have the best hunting options in the United States here very soon. Excellent. Cool. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask you a little bit about just sort of land access. I, I interviewed somebody recently that podcast actually hasn't aired yet, but he was a, he's a Kansas hunter and we talked a talked quite a bit about about private public land kind of thing and and we do talk a lot about the importance of public lands but i also think it's 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 good to make the point that you know in the right situations you can get a real win-win you can get a win-win you know like you said you're out helping the farmers do certain things with fences and whatever you can do to help them out and they're happy to turn around and and you know open the resource up to you and i think that's i think that's a cool thing to highlight as well yeah yeah I mean, outfitters and everybody kind of gets a bad rap, but you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, most of the outfitters, this is their, this is their dream. You know, this is their passion. They're out here helping these farmers. They're out here doing all of this work and paying these these farmers for this property. Um, so, I mean, it's supplemental to the farmer. It, it's helping him. It's helping the outfitter. It's it's helping out of state people come come into Kansas and be able to have a awesome experience you know, that you just couldn't have if you were going out on public ground because, you know, we're able to scout it out and we're able to plant food plots, you know, and you can't just go do that on walk-in hunting ground. So outfitters do get a bad rap here and there, but uh, the ones I know and the ones we work with, they're amazing people, like truly amazing people. I'd give them the shirt off my back, each and every one of them. So, I mean, we just they're out there grinding, man. Someone's, someone's just out working you. So if you're, if you're upset about your, you know, you lost your land lease that you got to hunt on for free from farmer Joe, you, your whole family's hunted on it for free since the seventies. Well, maybe you should have went out and gave him a big Christmas card or, you know, (laughs) brought him a gift basket, helped him, asked him if he needed help with fence. You know, he had some cows get out one day. He calls and he, he needed help rounding up his, his cattle. Like, don't get upset with people that are that are here and they're actually helping and trying to improve the lives of the people around them. As a landowner and as a as a hunter, you know, I kind of get I get both sides. You know, it's yeah, like you can you can understand both sides and you don't don't really want to pick a side. Um, just keep riding that fence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Well, man, this has been fun. Uh, before I let you go, where can people find out more about you, JC Bosch, and No Limits Kennels? So we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at No Limits Kennels. Um, and then uh, our website is nolimitskennels.com. And uh, yeah, everybody can reach out to me, phone, email, shoot me a message on on there i'd be happy to help um just kind of know that without seeing your dog it's hard for me to to tell you what i would do so it definitely like when you know if, if you need help need advice i can give you some generic stuff or i can at least hook you up with somebody in your area sure that can that can help you out further or you know help you get into a, a NABDA training weekend or something like that so i'm happy to help i love helping love helping good people you know develop and train good dogs everything is that's what it's all about awesome man uh you guys you guys have some awesome photography that was one thing i wanted to mention what who's who who's responsible for those awesome photos on your instagram account so jc bosch is is the photographer (laughs) the janitor the hr lady (laughs) uh, the dog trainer 
the house cleaner, the builder, the maintenance man, the lawnmower. Uh, we, I, I wear all those different hats. He sounds um, like a hell of a guy. Uh, I, I'm all right with him. We get along <laughs> some days. Uh, but no, um, we, we do a lot of that. Um, sometimes we have Andy Tran out of Muddy Shutter Media from uh, Maryland. He comes down. Oh, okay. He'll, he'll get some awesome photos and probably those really, really good ones that you're, sure, you're thinking sure. of. Those yeah. are probably courtesy of Mr. Tran. Awesome. Good stuff, man. Well, I, I, I really, really do appreciate it. Looking at some of those photos, you got me all wound up. I want to come down and come down and hunt with you in Kansas. I think that'd be fun. So I will, uh, we'll call it a wrap for now. I'd love to have you back on the podcast, but, but you got to go get those boots dirty and, and do a little dancing tonight. <laughs> I'm in my, uh, I'm in my Air Jordans per my usual. Uh, <laughs> we're, uh, we're getting ready to walk up in here. So yeah, it's my, my vet's wedding. Excellent. Uh, excellent. Well, yeah, I appreciate you having me and yeah, thank you very much. Anytime, anytime you need anything, give me a call. Love to see you in Kansas. Uh, come on by. We'll, we'll, sh- we'll share a field and a few beers afterwards. That sounds, that sounds good to me, JC. I appreciate it. We'll, we'll be in touch and you take care. All right. Thank you, Nick. See you, buddy. been listening to the project upland podcast that does it for this episode as your host i would like to personally thank you for listening to this episode of the show and remind you that we are brought to you by our friends at pine ridge grouse camp and onyx maps head over to projectupland.com we've got it all for you there articles videos more great stuff from project upland and northwoods collective check it out at projectupland.com and don't forget You could be next week's winner of the Project Upland Podcast gear giveaway. All you have to do is subscribe to this podcast, hit that little subscribe button, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and share the podcast post. You could be next week's winner. Also, we would love to hear from you. Please use the contact form at projectupland.com or send me an email directly at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. We could talk about bird dogs. We could talk about shotguns. We could talk about hunting trips you have planned. We can talk about future podcast guest suggestions. I would love to hear from you. Send me an email. That's it for this week's episode of the Project Upland Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you on the next episode. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. 
Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundoggy Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.